Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our risen Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. So before COVID, one of the last movies that Audrey and I had a chance to watch in the cozy theater was Just Mercy. Maybe you saw it too. The film tells the story of an idealistic young Harvard law graduate named Brian Stevenson, who who travels to Alabama in 1989, um, hoping to help fight for poor people who cannot defend themselves, who do not have proper legal representation. Well, he meets Walter, also known as Johnny D. McMillan, an African-American man who was convicted of the 1986 murder of Rhonda Morrison, a white woman. Stevenson looks over the evidence in the case and he discovers that it, that it all hinges on the testimony of a convicted felon named Ralph Myers who, who provided highly self-contradictory testimony in exchange for a lighter sentence in his own pending trial. In 1992... Johnny D. is finally released after six years of wrongfully serving on death row for a crime he, he didn't commit. If you haven't seen the film, I encourage you to watch it. It's a challenging film, but uh, an important one. And if you need to talk more about what you've watched, hey, sounds like a good excuse for a cup of coffee together with me. Well, the reason I open with that story is that our epistle reading for today is actually set in prison. Paul, one of the great apostles of the church, writes his letter to a community of Christians in Philippi from prison in Rome. He was imprisoned for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't steal anything. He didn't injure or kill anyone. He simply preached about God's kingdom, God's forgiveness, God's love, made known through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and his faithful preaching landed him in this smelly, dark, damp place with rough, rock-hewn walls and dirt floors where there was little to eat or drink, where the isolation could drive you crazy with loneliness and self-pity. And yet, if you read Philippians in your Bibles, you'll see that after penning just a few lines to the Christians in Philippi about his current state, Paul transitions quickly and writes a word of encouragement and good news to these Christians in Philippi. This one, Paul, who is humiliated and shamed, he should have been the one receiving the good word. But instead, he's the one giving the word of hope. To those who read his letter, he writes in chapter 2, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. 
So here is Paul, finding himself being punished and humiliated because of his faith. And he's finding great hope and comfort in the fact that his Lord Jesus, just a few years earlier, was also humiliated. Except Jesus wasn't just imprisoned, he was put to death on a cross. But Jesus bore his fate willingly and graciously, and through it he saved the world. It is as if Paul is writing, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. I don't gauge my success or happiness on how comfortable my life is. I don't measure my strength based on my level of freedom or safety or financial success. I gauge it on the love of God, who loved me so much that he gave up everything he had to suffer and die for me. And that same God, says Paul, through his son's suffering, has transformed false imprisonment merciless beatings, even death, from places of shame into the gateway to new life. Paul says, I will take this imprisonment for my faith as a badge of honor and as an opportunity to give witness to the grace of God. For if God chooses to reveal himself in weakness and humility, right, that's what the death of Jesus is on the cross, then I, Paul says, can experience God and be present with God even in my own humiliation. The second chapter of Philippians is a powerful powerful reminder of the length to which God was willing to go in order to make us his own. It's a glorious word about the suffering of Jesus and the way that that transforms death and suffering into something new and life-giving. And it's especially wonderful when we read it with the backstory of the author Paul in mind. The the word about Christ's suffering and shame inspired and strengthened Paul even as he suffered himself. What an amazing thing this gospel of Jesus Christ must be if it can inspire such beautiful poetry even as one sits imprisoned. And if nothing else, today let's be inspired by that story. But you know, I think Paul is doing something more as he writes these words in Philippians chapter 2. He's issuing a challenge, making an invitation, right? He's telling those who read these lines, both the Christians in Philippi who first read these words around 60 AD, and us who are reading these words some 2,000 years later, and challenging us also to be of the same mind as him, Paul, and the same mind of Jesus Christ. When we find ourselves in a situation of suffering or struggling or humiliation or worse, right? when we find ourselves staring death square in the face, let us remember the confidence and joy of Paul, who found hope even while living isolated in prison. For even there he knew that God was with him, promising him eternal life, unconditional love, a lifetime of guidance and strength, Paul knew that being a Christian did not guarantee him the good life. But it did promise him eternal, abundant life in the kingdom yet to come. And Paul is, is inviting those of us who have, who have been named and claimed by the risen Christ to be like our Lord too. We should be humble and giving, and loving, and generous. We should think of others before ourselves. We should be willing to suffer for the sake of our neighbor. 
even suffer for the sake of our enemies. It's a difficult challenge. It's one we face today. We still face incredible isolation, the challenge of a rapidly spreading deadly virus. And there's other struggles in our lives too, right? But I have to be honest, I don't always accept that that invitation to suffer graciously. I don't always accept that invitation willingly. In fact, I can't think of one time that in, in, in fullest faith that I've put my name on that RSVP. To, to, to experience and, and to live with that kind of humility. Certainly have never done it on a consistent basis. Selfishness, power grabbing, and greed. Much as I try, those are the things that seem to be the marks of my life instead. Humility, kindness, generosity. Take a back seat. Maybe you can relate to that kind of struggle. And so as Paul invites us into this life of humility, we can easily become discouraged and wonder if we can really call ourselves Christians at all. And here, I think, is where the words of Jesus himself enter. And in particular, Jesus' words in today's Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 21 are appropriate. Let me read from verses 28 to 32. Jesus said, What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go to work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And the chief priests and elders answered the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him, and even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Right? In this parable, Jesus describes two sons, each asked by their father to go into the vineyard. One says no, and later changes his mind and goes anyway. The other says yes, but doesn't go. So which one did the will of his father? Jesus asked. And again, the chief priests and elders said, it was the first one, but you know what? I I think they're wrong. If you ask me, neither one of those sons did the will of the father. The will of the father was for him to say, Yes, I'll go. And then go. (laughs) But neither one of them did that. One of them served in the vineyard, but did it begrudgingly after after telling his father no right to his face. The other had enthusiasm and willingness, or at least faked it pretty good. Even called the father sir, but in the end he didn't do a doggone thing. One was belligerent but cooperative. The other was enthusiastic but ultimately ineffective. Quite a pair of sons. But you know, once again, I look at that story and i got to be honest. I'm like one of those sons or the other pretty much every day. You probably are too. Some days I get out of bed fully committed to humility and service in God's name that day. right? But to be perfectly frank, that attitude lasts until... 
you know, the phone rings and my day rapidly changes or everything that I had planned gets thrown out the window. Or I'm ready to serve, ready to love, ready to do good, but nothing seems to go right that day. Right? The lessons I prepared, the meeting agendas I put together, the checklist I've assembled just doesn't go right. On the other hand, there are days that I get out of bed and I just as soon crawl right back in. But, you know, I go to work anyway because it's my job and I don't want to get fired. And I like, you know, a salary and health care. <laughs> I have to feed my family, right? So I just, I do it. And yet, despite that unenthusiastic approach to my vocation, God somehow manages to coax productivity from me on those days, too. The same could be said for me most days in my marriage, in my family life, in my community life. I might be obedient in giving, but only because someone's making me do it. Maybe you're like that sometimes, too. And here's the amazing thing, my friends. Our Lord works with us, even... In that state, when we're like son number one, God uses our good deeds for the sake of the world, even if they're given begrudgingly. When we're like son number two, God appreciates the enthusiasm and might be using us in some hidden way, even when we fail. The truth is, none of us does the will of our Father perfectly. We are called to humility, to service, to love, willingly and cheerfully. But most days we are miles away from that ideal, to be sure. And yet day after day, this God of ours puts us to work in his world. In our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our congregations. God puts us to work, using us when we're grumpy, yet moderately compliant. (laughs) Using us when we are, by all counts, merely enthusiastic failures. Right? And each and every day our Lord gives us, gives us the righteousness, the blamelessness, in essence the same mind as Christ, as a sheer gift. And so, people of God, I say to you, rejoice. For our Lord Jesus has borne humility and shame for you. He has died and suffered in order that you might live. And when God looks at you, he chooses to see his Son, our dear Lord Jesus Christ, the only person in the history of the universe who has managed to perfectly do the will of his Father. And in Jesus' name, God promises us abundant and eternal life, not for what we've done, not for how well we've managed to be humble and gracious, but by sheer grace, by sheer gift. And as an extension of that gift, God has decided to put us to work between now and eternity. One day, by the grace of God, we will be raised to eternal life with God. In the meantime, he calls us to humble service in his name. And even more, he promises to drag that service out of us by force if necessary and use us in mysterious ways when our minds are willing but our flesh proves weak. And day by day, he picks us up off the ground where the challenges of this humbling world dump us each night, puts us back on our feet, and promises to be with us through these challenges. Hard work and struggles await us each day, and God is surely with us. Thanks be to God. Amen.